Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Saul Marquez here. Today, I have the privilege of hosting the amazing Dr. Alex Young. He is an NHS trauma and orthopedic surgeon by training and is also the CEO and founder of a mixed reality training program platform called Verdi. Verdi helps, they develop immersive training tools to improve human performance in organizations and institutions around the globe. They're powered by cutting-age XR technology and AI. Verdi helped train NHS staff at the peak of the pandemic, and they've also worked with hospitals, universities, medtech companies, and corporates across the EMEA. He's passionate about improving human performance. Alex built and sold an events company during medical school at Bristol before bootstrapping and scaling an award-winning medical education company while training in the NHS. Verdi, Alex's most ambitious venture to date, has won a wealth of awards and grants, including being voted one of Time's Best Innovations and Inventions of 2020. Alex, such a pleasure to have you here today and excited to dive into the work you guys are up to. Thanks so much, Saul. It's great to be here. And and thanks for that introduction. I'm, I'm amazed you managed to get it all out. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you're up to some really neat things. And so I definitely want the listeners, I want to learn about it too, what you're up to at Verdi. Before we do though, talk to us a little bit about your inspiration. You know, what is it that makes you interested and inspired to do your work in healthcare? Yeah, definitely say, I mean, for me personally, I grew up being a gamer, but also being someone who was very much into sports and wanting to help people. So I, from quite a very early stage, knew I wanted to go into into the healthcare industry. And as you mentioned in your introduction, I trained as a trauma and orthopedic surgeon, partly because of my sort of interest in sports and the ability of trauma and orthopedic surgery to immediately be able to diagnose a a problem on an x-ray like a fracture or osteoarthritis and then perform an operation which is transformative to someone's life, getting them back to mobility where previously they might have been disabled. And I was always very, very interested in learning education and technology and sort of the the way that all those three things meet. So my my mother was a a headmistress at a a school in the UK. I have got a, a degree in education alongside my medical degree as well. And so I was always very passionate about how we could help the workforce in any sector, but especially the healthcare workforce, learn, train and perform better in what they do. And I think certainly when I was training in the UK's National Health Service, which is one of the biggest employers on the planet, um, there's about 1.5 million doctors and nurses, and then another 1.5 million auxiliary healthcare staff around that. It's something that I think any industry really needs to support, and that's their, their people culture and how they provide people with the best learning and training tools to help them perform when it matters under pressure. And I think we've seen that certainly over the last 12 to 18 months during the coronavirus pandemic, where lots of frontline healthcare workers have had to quickly adapt and do things possibly outside of their comfort zones or outside their day-to-day jobs. And they need to really jump in and, and learn how to do that as quickly as possible to keep patients safe. So that was very much my, very much my impetus for Verti, which was how can we use disruptive technology like XR, virtual and augmented reality and artificial intelligence to really revolutionize how people understand learning and performance and then deliver that, especially in the healthcare sector, to make real change in, in how patient care is delivered. Yeah, Alex, that's fantastic. You know, so much discussion goes into why do we not have the types of simulations like pilots do to help, you know, surgeons and surgery. And these are the types of platforms that that are making a difference. Now, help educate me. So I know there's 
augmented reality, so AR, and then there's VR, virtual reality. What is XR? Yes, yeah, so XR is sort of an industry term that kind of combines the two. So the kind of virtual reality, if you think of it as if you put a headset on and you're transported into a new environment, so that mm-hmm. might be mm-hmm. 360 video with computer-generated graphics where you're completely immersed in a new, a new environment. Augmented reality, on the other hand, and that's often seen through mobile phones, so things like Pokemon Go that you might have played on on your mobile or through augmented reality headsets like the Microsoft HoloLens, where you're still in your original environment, i.e. you can see the room or the space you're in, but you've got something that's projected into that space, which is new or foreign to that environment that you can interact with. So if you think to Pokemon Go, which is probably one of the most widely used augmented reality apps on, on mobile and on other platforms, you're presented with a Pokemon in your environment, whether that's outside or inside, that you can then interact with. And, and XR is, is really sort of encompassing both of those terminologies. And I think what we're seeing now and certainly in the foreseeable future will be headsets and devices that combine both of those, i.e. through one headset, you can have a, a virtual reality mode where you can be immersed into an artificial environment or you can have what's called kind of augmented reality pass-through mode where you sort of look through the lens of the headset and you're in your environment, but you can see new things in there. Mm. Yeah, you know, it makes a lot of sense, right? I never understood why they were separated to begin with, but, you know, the technology has been advancing and, you know, things don't happen all at once. Now, when you use your Oculus, when you kind of figure out your working zone, that is kind of a version of... of, uh, augmented reality, right? You're figuring out where your space is and then you kind of get lost into the actual virtual world. Yeah, exactly right. And um, I think going back to your your point just on on kind of healthcare training, I mean, I think you rightly mentioned that like the aviation industry have flight simulators and things like that where a, a lot of their employees and pilots kind of go through those to train repeatedly in safe environments before they they fly an aircraft. And in healthcare, we kind of have that. So, you know, most hospital systems have what's called a simulation center within their organization where you might practice either with role play with actors or what's called standardized patients, where you have someone who is either a patient suffering from a chronic disease where a trainee, doctor or nurse or anyone can come in and practice and and really learn with, or you have sort of high fidelity simulators like sort of mannequins that people can interact with and, and you can collect sort of data on how people perform in those environments. And then it's really interesting because around that, you've then got things that are very scalable, like say video or people going to YouTube or doing e-learning, but it's perhaps not that engaging. And then you've got what is probably the most beneficial way of learning, which is the sort of age-old apprenticeship model of things like surgery or healthcare, where you're in work, you're learning from someone who is an expert, who's been practicing for for many, many years, and you're getting direct feedback while speaking to patients or, or doing an operation. Now, the problem with that is, it's very serendipitous what you're exposed to. And particularly in things like surgery, where there's a lot of variability, there's lots of potential different ways to perform an operation. And I also use the example of soft skills and communication skills training, where it's as much about body language and and building rapport with a patient in a clinic as it is to sort of following a set structure. And so if you think about those two things, outside of that sort of in-person role play or learning on the job, there's not a hugely scalable way that people can access on-demand training scenarios in the healthcare space, or in fact, in, in most other industries. And certainly if they do in any of those ways, access training, often it's not very data-driven. 
So if you think about communication skills training as a great example, if I was learning how to break bad news to a patient when I was in medical school or when I was in my postgraduate training, I might sit down with an actor or actress or standardized patient, deliver bad news to them in a safe environment, and then receive critique back from the actor or actress, as well as anyone observing that. But often it's very subjective and is fed back based on their own experiences. And so Really, one of the things we set out to do at Verti, as well as making a lot of this training on demand and standardized and reducing variability, we also wanted to use some of this technology like machine learning to make a lot of this training content much more data-driven and much more actionable. So one of the things that we sort of optimize for in both surgical procedures and in soft skills training is how do you turn subjective feedback into objective data that can be sort of presented back to both the learner and the organization as a whole that, that's training them up. So we can kind of set new standards for what you know, good communication looks like or explain to people what is a sort of standardized speed or pace or way of doing a particular operation by analyzing some of the content that goes through our platform. So th- those are kind of, you know, just to give listeners a bit more of an idea around, you know, how sci-fi we're going with what we're doing. Totally. That's kind of, you know, our obsession on a daily basis, really. So Alex, data is one of those things that you feel is a differentiator. Talk to us about that some more. You know, what would you say makes what Verdi does better or different than what's currently available out there today? Yeah, 100%. So I think um, in terms of what's being done at the moment, a lot of training is either done kind of serendipitously in work based on patient or clinical encounters that you see. And the standard way that people kind of learn from that is either just sort of remembering things or you know doing a set number of operations and, and assuming you learn from them, or you immediately go back to your electronic portfolio or whatever it is you're using to kind of learn and train as an individual and, and reflect and note that down. Now, that's fine. But again, it's not data-driven and it's not really comparing one person in one hospital somewhere in the world to another person of similar demographics at a similar stage of their training somewhere else. And if you then think about the scalable end of that, which for things like surgery might be a trainee surgeon or a medical student going to YouTube and looking at an operation if they've never seen it before, just to kind of understand the steps or how people do things. Again, YouTube doesn't really collect any data other than views. And so one of the things that we can do uh, with our system is when users interact with either video-based or computer-generated aspects of the environments that, that are available through our platform, is we can track things like where their eyes are looking through retinal tracking or gaze movement, which gives us a really interesting behavioral insight into which elements of the scenarios they find most interesting or most challenging. And then if you think about how people respond to sort of difficulties or surprises and and make decisions, we can also track that. So for example, if something were to happen in one of these scenarios where there's, you know, perhaps a deliberate mistake made in in an operation or in a communication scenario, the patient either becomes aggressive or perhaps becomes emotional. We can actually track how quickly people respond to that as well as their decision-making process behind that. Almost a bit like a choose-your-own-adventure type book, if you remember those. And then all of that data combined allows us to really sort of map together a personalized profile of particular users and segment them across an organization by kind of stage, background, and do lots of other really, really smart things with the data. That's fantastic. Having that granularity really helps with training and ultimately, you know, with the coaching that a lot of physicians might need to perfect their technique or to learn something new. Overall, you'd think of this as something that could drastically decrease variability 
So give us your thoughts. What's the best way that this technology can improve outcomes? Yeah, I mean, just as you know, a couple of quick examples of things we've done over the sort of past 12 months. I mean, a really, really interesting use case, which I've got to say, I never thought when I had the idea for the platform, we would be using it for it was actually during the, you know, the COVID pandemic. Lots and lots of hospital systems having to train staff how to apply protective equipment who may not have routinely done that in their daily clinical practice, as well as some specialised staff on ICUs utilising ventilators or being redeployed to different areas of the hospital. And so one really quick example that we did with a number of our customers, but I use see the Sinai in Los Angeles as a, as a really great example. We actually were able to put a lot of the application training of, of how to sort of put on your protective equipment into our mobile apps and our virtual reality apps and then were in you know normal circumstances uh, the simulation and training teams would have had to bring individual clinicians and hospital staff down into their simulation center in small groups or in some cases one at a time give them a demonstration sign them off on how to apply the protective equipment and then really kind of hope that they're retaining that information for when they go into patient facing environments we were able to digitize a lot of that, analyze who might need a little bit more help and who did need to be brought back in and who absolutely had it down and could go straight into a clinical environment. And we then were also able to provide that as a, an on-demand reference tool. So if people weren't quite sure about a, a few steps in how to apply your PAPA face mask or headset or, or anything like that, they had it accessible on our app or through the platform so they could do some just-in-time training as well. And a lot of the data we then sort of collected from that study, we did both across um, the United States and in the UK, showed that actually our system was able to help the learners and the clinical staff retain knowledge and understanding of how to apply protective equipment for longer, uh, quite significantly longer. So we had a, almost a 230% increase in knowledge retention compared to the traditional methods of training that we did a, a study against. And the other really interesting thing was on the qualitative data side was that a lot of the healthcare professionals who went through our training were significantly less anxious about going into those potentially hazardous environments because they felt better prepared to put on protective equipment. And when you kind of think about the stress that a lot of frontline healthcare workers were, all, were under, where they could have potentially become infected themselves or infect other patients or infect their family members when they went home, that was something we were very humbled and, and grateful we could help with. And we ended up doing a study in, in the NHS back in the UK where we won a, an award for it and then ended up getting featured on the Times Square NASDAQ Tower, albeit in the height of the coronavirus pandemic when there was no one actually in Times Square to see it. But we do have a very nice picture. <laughs> Those are just you know, a couple of things. But I think across the platform, the ability to reduce kind of the time needed to train employees, the ability to retain information for longer, and most importantly, the ability to make people feel more prepared and therefore kind of less anxious about getting into potentially hazardous or, or difficult to manage environments is definitely the most rewarding thing that, that we see regularly. Yeah. Now, some great, great examples there, Alex, and examples like the pandemic or even handling rare fractures. I mean, you're in orthopedics, right? Like, I mean, how often will a, a orthopedic surgeon in training see, for instance, a distal radius fracture if they're in the middle of a low populated area? having something like this could be a big benefit. And then also thinking about the the travel piece and as companies look to train people, so kind of shifting to more the industry side, 
Alex, you know, getting on a plane to go to training to corporate offices is kind of going out. It's not as viable. And with a pandemic, companies are seeing that they actually can save money by doing things virtually. You guys doing anything along the lines of corporate training with these things? 100%. It's a really great point. And I think whether it's corporate training in terms of, you know, your exec level leadership skills and soft skills, your middle manager, uh, you know, difficult conversations, hiring and firing, or, or your kind of support staff training. Again, a lot of it follows the same, you know, adage of, of it's often delivered via kind of role play or in kind of unengaging video-based methods where there's not a huge amount of data backing it up or behind it. And certainly, I mean, even before actually the pandemic really took hold of, of everywhere and businesses, especially through 2020, we were real advocates digitizing any type of in-person training. And I think if you look, especially at the kind of medical device and pharmaceutical industry, where a lot of training, exactly as you say, required healthcare professionals to either fly or be flown in some cases uh, to centralized training facilities to learn how to do you know, new techniques or apply new medical devices in, in their own practice. It was hugely, hugely expensive. And then you've also, on top of that, got the cost of actually flying reps uh, out for kind of support when devices are actually used in the field. And so, again, we, we're absolutely advocates that by utilizing technology like ours or, or anything really that, that kind of collects data and allows you to sort of scale your in-person training, there's a huge amount of cost saving to be had for organizations. And it really allows them to kind of scale their training and, you know, can also form part of a wider sort of sales, marketing, productivity and support kick. Because if your, your sales team are, are better at explaining things or your support team can deal with any kind of issues that come up around your medical device or, or whatever it is you're selling, you're going to be better prepared and you're going to have better outcomes in those respects as well. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Appreciate you sharing that, Alex. And something for us to think about as we build our businesses to serve and scale, there's opportunities to curb costs, but also to keep your employees and also customers safe, especially when things like the, the pandemic come up. What would you say is one of the biggest setbacks you've had, Alex? And what was the key learning that came out of that? It's a good question. So I think um, for me, kind of personally, I think, you know, we've been very fortunate at Verti in that since I sort of took a big risk and, and left my job, I loved doing trauma and orthopedic surgery and took the risk to kind of, you know, found a startup and go full time on it. We've been on quite a sort of a quick scale up journey. However, you know, with everything, there's always kind of setbacks and things like that. So I think for me, one of the big things that, that we've sort of struggled, and, and this was not just in the coronavirus pandemic, but before, was actually having you know, a very sort of quick growing international team. So from day one, we've had team members and customers in, in the United States, in the UK, in mainland Europe, and now increasingly kind of through uh, APAC and in lots of different languages. And I think just the way that companies and, and institutions in general scale up to deliver kind of culture and keep everyone involved, whether they're remote or in different time zones, is absolutely critical. And I think when everyone was able to travel, it was great because I could hop on a plane, I could go and hang out with our, our teams in sort of Texas or the West Coast or New York or something like that. But now that's all got to be done via Zoom. And it, it's really, really interesting because we've had to sort of adapt as an organization, although we were already set up to be very remote and we were using our own products, we've really sort of had to adapt to how we sort of engage with people, how we do one-to-ones, how we do our coaching in a much more kind of personal and, and sort of mindful way, actually, and thoughtful way. We're sort of really looking after people's, you know, individual circumstances as they go through this transition from, you know, in-person work to remote training. And I think for us, just sort of, you know, scaling up really, really quickly, we've had to sort of adapt and map that out really proactively. And we've not had any sort of massive problems with that per se. 
However, because we've sort of been hiring people at quite a pace, it's been really interesting sort of stressing out our systems and, and collecting feedback from everyone who comes onto the business. So it's certainly been challenging for us, you know, kind of meeting demand through, through 2020 and 2021. And I think we're sort of just about, just about staying on top of things at the moment. Well, I think that's fantastic. And these obstacles that at one point seem like obstacles, sometimes if you work through them, they become strengths. That's definitely been the case for you, Alex. And I think it's exciting to hear about what's next. So what would you say you're most excited about? Yes. I mean, there's lots and lots to be excited about, I think, at the moment. I think as the you know the world um, starts opening back up, I think we're going to see, certainly for us in the sort of education sector and the healthcare sector, there's going to be a lot of, you know, what I term kind of hybridization of, of everything really in terms of services. So I think there's lots of elements of remote learning and training that's going to stay. But we do also need to cater for going back to the standard in-person training as well, because with things like healthcare, I'm a big advocate that no technology should ever completely replace the face-to-face human element, because that is obviously so important. You know, technology, when used at its best, should um, you know get out of the way of physicians or, or any employee, allow them to optimize their time and do things more quickly, not take longer. So. I think just getting back to normal is going to be very exciting. And I think in terms of the technology, we mentioned it time at, kind of at the top of the podcast, but the technology in terms of machine learning or different types of hardware and headsets in the augmented and virtual reality worlds is moving extremely quickly. And there's lots of new headsets and new ways that data can be pulled off those that are going to be coming out over the next two years. So whether it's things like integrating actual physiological data that can be pulled off some of the headsets into our system, whether it's attacking new industry problems that we see arise in the way that we sort of onboard content to the system, or whether it's just getting more examples of amazing use cases that some of our customers who use the platform for demonstrating. I think there's lots and lots to be excited about. Yeah, I totally agree. There's tons to be excited about. I think it's fantastic that you and your team are are doing what you're doing to add the additional layers of data to help really everyone that's using this technology improve. I think there's a really bright future for it. For those of you that are listening and are thinking, man, I wonder if virtual reality, augmented reality, or as we learned in today's podcast, XR, a mixture of both, how can it benefit my patients? How can it benefit my customers? This is a great, great opportunity to connect, to learn, and to take action on things that you're learning. Ultimately, that's how things happen. Don't just have the idea, do something about it. I want to take the opportunity here, Alex, to say, hey, thank you for being with us. Why don't you leave us with a closing thought? And then the best place for the listeners could get in touch with you or anybody on your team to further explore the opportunity. Yeah, and I think um, just reflecting back on some of your comments there, Saul, I mean, I would you know, say to anyone listening, one of the things that we've sort of built out with our platform is our creation tools, because you know, we feel that, that healthcare professionals and anyone involved in any sector in learning development are the most creative people on the planet and, and want to sort of help their employees or, or their patients. And there's a number of different ways that these types of technologies can be utilized to improve outcomes across multiple different industries. In healthcare, there's, there's lots of interesting uses from mindfulness for patient education through to the type of training we've been talking about. And again, just going full circle on things that excite me the most, it's always the ideas and concepts and content that our customers come up with. So if you do have any really, really exciting use cases, whether it's in you know research phase, whether it's actually on the deployment side now, do feel free to get in touch. We're available at Verti, V-I-R-T-I.com. Our socials across everything are Verti Labs um, on Instagram. 
Twitter, Facebook, you name it. And you're very welcome to reach out to myself or any of the team through any of those mediums. Love it, Alex. Well, hey, we appreciate the invitation to connect and definitely want to say thanks for jumping on with us and teaching us a little bit about the platform and, and how you guys are making a difference with this technology. Really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Anytime. Thank you.